Just don't F me up. Okay, welcome back to the shit show. These weekend recordings, man. <laughs> Everybody's in for such a treat. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us on Just Don't F Them Up, a podcast by two moms who have no idea what they're doing. They're trying really hard to try to understand what they should be doing all the time, but it actually is turning out that maybe there aren't any shows, but we're not sure. So we're going to keep interviewing people. We're going to keep just gathering as much information as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. In a healthy, helpful way. Most of the time, yeah. Today we are joined by Sam Franklin, a licensed marriage and family therapist who is also the owner of Apricity Counseling and Wellness. And total disclosure, I also own that clinic and we are coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and friends. I mean, we could add that in there. <laughs> oh, yes. She is my wife. We, although I was going to say it's not legal, but it's pretty legal. We have a lot of legal documents binding us. Yeah, you guys are pretty legally bound up. So we're very excited to have Sam with us today because she is an expert in anger management. Something that we've been talking about probably every episode of this podcast that we perhaps have some amount of maybe stored anger from, you know, maybe some trauma from our own childhoods, maybe some stored anger that we just shoved to the little slide so we could keep doing our jobs like the good women we're supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) Voice. (laughs) That's my character, Natalie, that does everything the woman should. Oh. The cookie and the cleaning. Oh, she does. She's so good at it. She probably has some stored anger, too. She probably does. She's mm-hmm. she's shoving a lot of things down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Your, some of your takes on um, maybe how I could be less angry. <laughs> what even is anger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Make sure we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I would say... All of our emotions have a function and a purpose. Um, They usually have some type of, they give us a signal, some information. So with anger, the signal or information is that we've been harmed by someone. And then it also gives us a drive to protect ourselves. So that's why anger has a lot of energy behind it. Because if it didn't and someone harmed us, we'd be like, I mean, I'm upset, but I'll just let it go. Mm -hmm. But when we have a lot of energy behind it, we're more likely to do something about it, say something or do something, set some type of boundary. So it's actually really important. And I feel like we need to also talk about guilt because they go hand in hand. Guilt is I've harmed someone and it gives us a drive to make amends. So they're both social emotions is is what I say. How tied into shame are we talking to? Because that saying of like guilt, I made a mistake. Shame is I am a mistake. Does shame play a part in lyrish? It is related. I would give it a little bit of a different definition. I think shame is I've broken a community standard of some sort. And then the question is, do I care about that community standard? Do I want to actually abide by that? And if the answer is yes, then I probably want to correct my behavior, make amends. And if the answer is no, 
then I want to go about what I've been doing and try to let go of the shame, which is easier said than done. Yeah, part of the beginning of that sentence sounds like a sociopath, and then you ended it with, mm-hmm. you move forward and doing other things. What, the breaking of community standards? And then not caring. I, well, I mean, let's let's think about this. There's probably a lot of community standards that you might not care about, like uh, maybe gender roles, for example, of what a woman should be doing or what a mom should be doing. And you might say, those are unrealistic standards. So maybe I've broken them but I feel like I can't live up to up to them. So I might have shame, but I don't want to, you know, fix that. I okay. was actually thinking uh, there's probably a lot of community standards that I don't care about. Maybe. Yeah. Too- I, I'm thinking about like community standards that I'm consensually participating in. There are probably a ton of community standards and I'm like, I don't agree with that. That's disgusting and patriarchal and oppressive. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about like, yeah, the guilt versus shame part of like, I might feel shameful if I broke a community standard that I actually believe in. Yeah. I would argue that you would probably feel shame whether you believe in it or not. It's more like, is it rational or not? Like, what do you want to do with it? Is like the, the really important part is like, okay, yes, I've technically broken this community standard, but so I feel shame. That makes sense but I don't really want to change my behavior. I want to keep going with what I've been doing, knowing that there are consequences for that, right? Like people may uh, get mad at you. You might be isolated, Mm -hmm. but you have to think of like what's best for yourself. Yummy. Yeah. I get that's a great point. Cause I was thinking about shame in the logical sense. Cause like sometimes I have a congruent shameful response and other times I'm just so bred to feel ashamed of Mm-hmm. my essence my carcass and what my carcass behaves like or looks like etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah oh this is already fascinating thank you so much for bringing in your level of expertise on this matter <laughs> yeah i love talking about this stuff and like what you just said about shame you could also say about guilt that many of us are taught to feel guilty about something that we don't have to feel guilty about so it's not like okay, I shouldn't feel that emotion. It's just like, we're going to probably feel the emotion at times. And then it's like, do I need to? Like, mm-hmm. I feel guilty that I did something, but did I harm someone? No, maybe the person just doesn't like the boundary that I've set up. Mm-hmm. And that means that I need to work on letting go of the guilt instead of apologizing, for example. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Let's bring this into like parenting terms something that Miranda and I have talked about quite a bit is feeling uh anxious hyper aware there are probably some underlying shame and guilt when we're making decisions that impact our kids or feeling overly responsible for them what they say what they do uh, how our parenting choices affect their social emotional health etc so those, what you've described as anger and how that affects relationships, particularly parent-child relationships. I I feel like there's a certain type of person that would come in from an anger management group and one of the person that would come in would be parents. And mm-hmm. they'd either, usually a combination, but they would feel really guilty or ashamed of how they responded in a parenting moment or they were seeing a pattern of like blowing up or yelling at their kids and like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep harming my kids. 
The other thing that I saw with parents was um, seeing their kids respond in a similar way that they would with anger and not liking that, like seeing it mirrored back to them and being like, oh, I do that. And I don't want my kids to show up in that way. So those are like the big ways that I feel like parents have showed up in my office or in my groups with anger. I think people don't think about guilt as much. I think afterwards they think about it way more once they've been working with me. But that's like this silent issue that people just aren't aware of. Anger creates more, like it's louder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the energy behind anger and how that can be kind of the catalyst for change. We have to have that energy or like you said, we would just be like, ouch, that hurt, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. How does anger motivate us to change again? And like our parenting choices or um, our relationships with our kids. I think it's helpful to take like a, a step back and think of like the larger picture of a parent's life because there's probably a lot of sources of anger that aren't just the kids but that maybe isn't being dealt with and then it's just being displaced on the kids so think about if you had 10 different sources of an anger issue come throughout the day and six were something else and four were your kids but you didn't deal with the six that's like 10 that you're throwing on the kids in like a four level situation And so it's going to feel like you overdid it. So I think it's important to look at like, where is my anger coming from? Because while kids are, I would say they're not angering. Sometimes they're frustrating, like they're being kids. Mm -hmm. Um, There's probably other things that we're upset about throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much. Yes to that. (laughs) I feel like the times when I like lose it the most are times when I have a lot of other stuff also happening and I have so much less patience and space for the stuff that the kids are doing. And yeah, I am either not able to problem solve or deal with it at that moment or whatever it might be, but then it does, it all comes out on them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. holy shit, that <laughs> they weren't even that naughty. and. uh I just screamed mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's this, um, I call it like the red line and the red zone of like when we get into the red zone, we just, we lose it and we're not able to think through logically what we're doing. Everyone has their breaking point. And so if we're near that red line regularly, there's going to be like small things that all of a sudden we're getting into the red zone. And so we have to make sure that we're not getting into that place very often. And so it's things like, yeah, sleep and am I eating? Am I getting my needs met? Like, am I lonely? Do I need social needs? Do I need time by myself? Am I over- overstimulated? That's a big one with parents because kids are very stimulating and there's a lot going on. Um, so there's a lot of that if, and anxiety. If I'm feeling more anxious or stressed, all of that just adds to the level of emotion that we have on a day-to-day basis. And then something small happens and we just lose it. Mm-hmm. 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 Which is also kind of what we saw growing up and our parents saw and their parents before them is this very uh, authoritarian, authoritative parenting Mm -hmm. style where it's like, no, you listen to the parent and if you don't, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I feel like things are shifting in the direction of having a little bit more gentle 
curious. Um, I don't know. I mean, not just to, like, do as I say, like, less authoritarian, right? Like, yeah, not just, like, I'm the adult, so you do it. It's, like, okay, what's going on mm-hmm. for you? You are resisting this for whatever reason. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk about it. I want to hear why. You might still have to do it, but right, I want to yeah. hear what's going on for you. Yeah. Rather Which than is more work for it's more work for parents, but you're probably then not adding stored anger for the kid. Because mm-hmm. when we feel like we can't protect ourselves, we can't stand up for ourselves, and then we're being hurt. Like a parent putting in a consequence that we don't understand, or we feel like is overdoing it, but we're kids, so we can't, we don't have a say. Mm-hmm. We're just like adding to anger. So you're helping your kids by not just coming in with like, do as I say, and this is what I've decided. You're helping your kids with their own anger, not to accrue that over time, but it's harder on the parent, obviously, because it's more work that you have to do with that. Right. That's the balance I'm thinking of is like letting go of how I was taught to parent by parents in the 90s. And on learning that, letting go of my own developmental trauma with that, also applying this new way of parenting mm-hmm. in the hopes that it's more effective and beneficial for my kids so letting go of my stored anger as a result of my developmental trauma and here's the other thing that really gets me about this like stored anger from developmental trauma we don't know what triggers us until we're parents oh my god so we are actively I mean, really like daily learning about what triggers us. And then we have to go figure out why it's triggering us, heal that part. And then hopefully we're more effective moving forward. But as our kids change and grow, we're going to learn about more triggers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like it has taken me, I mean, Huxley is my oldest. He's seven, almost seven and a half. And I feel like probably in the last six months or so is when I've gotten noticeably better at like noticing my own stuff, like Mm -hmm. noticing I just had an argument and now I'm in parenting and my, I have about this much patience left Mm -hmm. to get and I have a headache today or I saw 10 clients today and now tonight anything that happens I'm like (laughs) you know like I I feel like I'm just getting to that point and I'm gonna hit a little bit of a stride and then they're gonna move totally into different stages and then I'm gonna have to back up again yeah Yeah. I also have some like bitterness of being I'm the oldest child so there are some things that you you don't know until you're doing it and then you do know for your second third fourth fifth kid mm-hmm. that there is some truth to that of like your first kid is kind of in some ways the experiment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but it's never too late to make changes I think there's been a number of parents that have showed up in my office and they're just they're so concerned that they've like damaged their kids forever especially around anger stuff or how they're responding and I think like it's yeah, there's probably been some hurt, but like you can make repairs. And if you make 
active changes and you show up differently and you apologize, I think that's the biggest thing. If you apologize for your kids when you've made a mistake, that's such great modeling for them. Mm. And like that goes a long way. Mm. Uh, And you can apologize for things in the past of like, hey, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how I've treated you or things that I've done in the past. And, you know, I think I could do it differently. And I'm sorry Mm -hmm. for the ways that I've showed up in, in, in these ways that are hurtful. Mm-hmm. We've been consistently hearing that as we've been interviewing these experts is repair, 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 because making mistakes is just a part of being a human. Mm-hmm. We're exposed to our immediate family so often that there's just going to be more potential harm there. But yeah, just going back, repairing, uh-huh. which is just making amends, taking ownership, saying sorry, moving on. Yeah, that's why like guilt also gets such a bad rep of like people try to avoid feeling it, uh-huh. but it's there for a reason. Like we're going to feel guilt when we hurt people, and we're going to hurt people. Like we're human. Yeah. Um, and that just lets us know like, oh, I probably did something that I want to apologize for, and that uncomfortableness with the emotion is to encourage us to actually make amends. Again, if we didn't have that like uncomfortableness, we'd probably be like, well, I hurt that person, but oh well. And but people like feel that discomfort and they start to go into shame or they want to run away from it, but trying to use it as a catalyst of I'm going to go apologize. Yeah. Like using it for its purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Like letting our emotions serve that purpose. Yeah. That's a great point. Anger is just like a biological response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For our survival. Like think about, I ask clients this, like what would the world do to someone who was incapable of experiencing or expressing anger? Like what would happen to oh. that person? My gosh. Used, abused, controlled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world would walk all over you is like the most common response. We need it to survive. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing with guilt. Yeah, I think people can think about that. We think of like extreme versions of like mm-hmm. psychopaths, sociopaths, but the extreme version is like you might wind up dead for retaliatory violence or put in jail, but less extreme, you probably would be isolated. People mm-hmm. wouldn't want to be around you if you just went around harming people. And so they're they're so important. And so I think people try to block them because they're uncomfortable. But they also try to block them and other people. Like, oh, I don't want to make this person feel guilt. Like, if right. I do something, if I say how they've hurt me, I'm going to make them feel guilt. And I don't want to do that. But I would say, like, that's a good thing if someone feels guilt naturally. Like, then they'll mm-hmm. apologize to you. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. That's so, what a mind fuck because it's ultimately what we would really like. If we're bringing up something that hurt our feelings, we're going to this person and saying, This hurt. And it would be great for them to say, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. But we're almost avoiding it by not bringing up because we don't want them to feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. The control freak in me is like, I don't want to make them feel something that's uncomfortable even though it's not my responsibility can to control how anyone feels mm-hmm. yeah that could be the hard part when we care about people like especially like with kids obviously you care about your kids and so you don't want them to be uncomfortable but I think then if we keep saving them from the emotions we block their ability to figure out what does the emotion mean what do I do with this um, and how do I manage it Otherwise, then we become like emotion avoidant and it just like we don't want to deal with them because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with anger? Because we're going to feel it. 
It's a congruent emotion. It serves a purpose. What do we do with it? Question mark. I think a two-parter. What do we do with it? And how can we support our kids Mm. when they're having a lot of anger? Because one of mine in particular seems like he experiences anger a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I should probably also differentiate between anger and frustration. Mm-hmm. Frustration is the difference between the way that I would like things to be, or I think they should be, and the way things actually are. So if I want to go for a walk and it's raining and I don't like to walk in the rain, like I might be frustrated. No one harmed me. No one owes me anything. I'm frustrated. And so sometimes I think people get those, I think oftentimes people get them confused. Mm. And so it's really important to separate those out for us and our kids of like, Mm. you really wanted that uh, ice cream right now and you can't get it. That is frustrating. Like no one harmed them in that process. Same thing for us. Like I would really love it if my kid would stop being so loud right now but they're playing and they're enjoying themselves I'm overstimulated they're not like they don't owe me things they're being a child but I'm frustrated because this is not what I want right now uh-huh and those take two different like routes like anger is um to protect ourselves like some type of boundary or self-assertion frustration is asking yourself like do I, is there a way that I can change the situation that would make me happier? And is it worth the effort? And if not, then I have to figure out how to let this go. Like, I don't like that it's happening like this, but maybe it's out of my control and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> in, then in my specific case, my kids get angry at each other because they're constantly pushing each other's boundaries and taking things from one another and fighting and pushing and, you know, being very physical. But they're probably then the way that you defined it frustrated with me because I'm the one that's like, well, we don't have the stuff to make grilled cheese for dinner tonight. So we can't have that. Right. And then, that's the frustration that comes out because it's not a protecting issue. It's just, I want this and I can't have it. It's not going to work out the way that I want it to. Yeah. But the, where I feel like anger comes into play is when they're blowing past each other's boundaries and pushing each other because that is harm. And so they Mm -hmm. are justifiably angry at each other. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what maybe started that, might have been frustration of they didn't get what they wanted and now they don't know what to do with it and so now they're just taking it out on someone and that leads to actual anger uh uh-huh uh-huh okay so how how can i help decrease (laughs) the amount of anger and frustration (laughs) that uh i'm having to help manage (laughs) right yeah, and it's probably like skills that you both already have, like what's called like emotion coaching, right? Of like naming what's happening. Like, uh, seems like you're frustrated. You really wanted that grilled cheese, and we just we didn't have the stuff to make it. I know you really were looking forward to that, mm-hmm. and that's disappointing. That's frustrating. Okay, 
the naming it, the validating it. I feel like that's been kind of a common theme too in yeah from people like how how settling that can be both for our nervous system and our body and our mind like Mm -hmm. helps them just feel like we get it and then they can settle a little and then they can put two and two together because kids are going to get activated and they might not have put two and two together like I'm feeling this discomfort that I need to discharge somehow because I didn't get what I wanted maybe they can put it together maybe not Mm -hmm. but then they're uncomfortable and then they want to get rid of it. And then that looks like maybe harmful behavior towards someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also helps them create like an internalized uh, self-talk or monologue of like when they get frustrated or they, when they feel an emotion later on in life, they can go back to, yeah, I'm feeling frustrated because of this. And, you know, it's okay to feel that way and it sucks and I wish I could get what I wanted, but, you know, I can't. And so instead of, what probably could happen later on is like, I'm a bad person. I have this emotion. What's wrong with me? Why am I getting so upset? It's my fault. Like all the things that I feel like I see in adults when they just didn't have that stuff validated is they start to turn it internalized um, towards themselves. And then it becomes blame, shame. And that just makes anger worse as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when we weren't taught this stuff growing up, we weren't modeled it. And then, you know, growing up as girls, like, we're not allowed to have anger. Boys, the one emotion that they're, you know, quote unquote, allowed to have by society is anger. And girls, like the one emotion you're not allowed to have is anger. Mm -hmm. So then you go into this, anger is bad. I need to people please. Clearly, I overreacted or I need to put aside my needs and just be there for other people. I'm angry right now. I've been hurt. I have a need that's not being met, but I don't have a right to do that. So I'm just right. going to put it in my stored anger bucket and just make it better for everyone else. And then it just builds over time. Right. You hit the nail on the head with that narrative of, you know, I'm not allowed to feel angry or I don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. That I see just with my own clients, how much that gets in the way of their own healing process and Mm. how that gets in the way of having effective, healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even like having healthy boundaries and being able to protect yourself. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't, you're not allowed to feel angry, then you're not able to use that anger to motivate you to have a boundary or make a change or say no or whatever that looks like and if we're teaching that to our kids then they're not going to be able to do that either Mm -hmm. yeah so it leads to things like powerlessness helplessness depression like if you're not getting your needs met and you feel like the world's walking all over you you're probably also at some point going to internalize and be like must be me like people are treating me horribly because I must must be something wrong with me So maybe you never learned that it was okay to speak up or you never learned how to. So it leads to all these mental health issues. And then we also stigmatize it. Like when we have all this built up anger and then we explode, which we inevitably will, Mm -hmm. then the world points at us and says, you're a bad person. What's wrong with you? And then it just makes it worse. Mm -hmm. And then it's the cycle. Mm -hmm. Around and around and around. Yeah. 
I often use the analogy of a balloon filled with air with like stored anger and maybe frustration, things like that. If we have a lot over time, like the balloon's so ready to pop. It's so filled with air. So you just need a little bit for it to pop and then you lose it. So you have to figure out how can you let out that air? Like how do you let out the stored anger that you've built up over time? How do you let out the stress and the frustration and all the things that's contributing to this? But also like how do you stop from adding more? It has to go both directions. You have to work on stuff from the past and not add any more. Otherwise you're always at like a, a boiling point. Mm-hmm. All yeah. this like parents, you have to take care of yourselves. And like, when? Like and how? <laughs> what does that look that? like? <laughs> like the motivator yeah. behind like, oh, I can't take care of myself. Like, well, no, actually I have to, or there's no air coming out of my balloon. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to pop and it's going to affect my kids. Mm-hmm. And it's hard yeah. too, because sometimes it's like, I'll go do something like go have happy hour or go get my nails done or go do whatever, go have brunch. And then I'm like, yeah, I got away. And I come home and it like wasn't enough. And I just go it just comes right back to exactly where it was. Like I should have just stayed away because like I missed you guys, but now that I'm here, you're still doing, you're back on your same bullshit and I'm tired of (laughs) y'all. But also think of, I mean, think of the alternative. If you didn't ever leave and you stayed the whole time, you know, would it be potentially worse? I think of, again, what's our baseline level of anger and irritability and if like here's like our breaking point the red line and we're close to it all the time we have such little room to work with mm-hmm. but if we can take breaks and like bring it down every so often we have more room to work with and if we have a lot of built up stress and anger over years we're going to be close to that red line often mm-hmm. yeah and maybe the little like the little things that we can get out and do Maybe it's more realistic to think of them as like keeping us from going higher rather than bringing us down, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I've never thought about it like that until right now when you were talking about it in that way, Sam. But like maybe my expectation of like, oh, I'll go get my nails done and then I'll be feeling so much better and I'll come back all refreshed and like, I won't freak out, but maybe that's just not enough realistically. Like maybe that is just a, okay, I won't get higher than this. Then I'll take a break and it'll keep me from blowing my top, but it's not going to bring it down or bring it down very much. Yeah. It's like, think about maybe like a sporting event like if you play the entire game you would be exhausted and people do it but it takes a lot out of you that's why people take a break and they have subs and someone else comes in and they take a breather it's not that like going back into the sporting event isn't going to be hard and you're going to be more tired it's just like I got a little break and I have a little bit more energy to like keep going and that's kind of what I see in terms of trying to be realistic with parents of you're not going to be able to take vacations all the time and get all the rest and things that you want but can you find little moments where you just relieve a little bit of the pressure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like maybe by listening to Just Don't Have Them on podcasts and then you mm-hmm. feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you feel better. But I do think like feeling like you're not alone is important when you're going through hard stuff and you're angry and like to know that like, oh, I'm not a bad person. And that's totally normal. Mm-hmm. Other people are dealing with that. Validation goes like a really long way with emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like the reminder, and this is kind of going backwards a little bit, but the reminder that for our kids to feel and express frustration and anger is a good and healthy thing. Yeah. Like, it's a pain in our asses, and it's a lot to deal with, and it's exhausting, and it requires a lot from us. And consistently now we're hearing that it's good for them it's good for them to do that and it's not our job to make it go away necessarily but it's our job to help them figure out how to navigate through it yeah because if the expectation that from them is make it go away because that's what you're doing as a parent think about who they'll become as an adult Will they blame other people for when they're angry because it's other people's fault and other people have to make me feel better instead Mm -hmm. of having the empowerment of, well, I don't feel really good right now and I'm angry. There must be a reason why and maybe I need to set a boundary and then the harm will stop, hopefully, if that person is, you know, a safe person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Mention that guilt is connected to anger and Miranda and I talk a lot about mom guilt just not being able to go do the self-care thing because we feel guilty that we left our kids or you name it. Mm -hmm. What would be your suggestion for coping with some of that guilt, mom guilt, or what maybe then turns into anger and resent if we're not leaving the house and going to take care of ourselves? It feels like a losing battle, kind of like Miranda's talking about. Yeah, and I feel like this is complicated and probably has a lot of layers. Like, the first thing that comes to mind is expectations that are placed on moms, which are mostly unrealistic. And so that kind of goes to the shame stuff of, like, first I need to figure out, like, what are these expectations that I'm trying to live up to? Are they actually realistic? Not, like, okay, here's what society says or here's what my friend is doing, but, like, me in my life, are these realistic? Because that's, I think, the first place to start. Because you're going to feel guilt all the time if you have unrealistic standards because you're never going to meet them. And so you're either hurting yourself or you're hurting someone else. I think that's, like, the first place to start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Because the expectations piece, that's layered too, right? We have societal expectations. We have expectations within our culture, Mm -hmm. our family norms, et cetera, and how... I feel, I feel like we're as moms in a difficult position because it's okay for us to work. Like we don't have to be stay at home moms anymore. Like we're allowed to get an education and like go to work. You're welcome, America. But also we're still expected to be the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. So now we're managing the house, the chores, the cooking, the cleaning, that hasn't caught up with 
this whole like equality and a man female relationship mm-hmm. and more anger is arising as I notice that there are the expectations of you're supposed to be career driven and succeed but don't succeed too much because then you're obviously not taking care of your house or spending enough time with your kids you mm-hmm. spend too much time with your kids you're not celebrating the education you got and the work that you've been working so hard to do there's well, it's no that way. thing of like we're supposed to work like we don't have children and we're supposed to raise children like we're not working yeah and so either so way is it yeah, you're going to lose. So is it really guilt or is it anger? I think that's, I think a lot of times people will move towards guilt of like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not meeting expectations. And I would say you probably have more justified anger than guilt of society puts unrealistic expectations. Everyone's judging you unfairly. Um, and marginalized populations and minority people in society are going to have more anger issues mm-hmm. because they're being harmed they're being discriminated against there's prejudice there's unrealistic expectations they can't win if they do one thing that's a bad thing if they do the opposite that's also a bad thing and so then it's more of like i wouldn't say that that's rational guilt is more like that's justifiable anger mm-hmm. and i think to add to that whole hot mess is like the expectations we put on ourselves Like, Mm -hmm. there's all of these external things. And then I do feel like we internalize a bit of that. And then it's like, well, I should be able to manage the household and keep track of the schedules and know about their homework and be reading to them every day and enriching their educational part of their lives and taking care of myself and making time for this and that and the other thing and washing the sheets and you know vacuuming and doing all and then it's like we're setting ourselves we're joining in right we join in Mm -hmm. with that we we buy in and then it's partially the external world and it's partially ourselves that set us up for this like Mm -hmm. I don't need Mm -hmm. to ask for help I'm strong and I can handle it. And then I nail myself into the ground trying to get everything done. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, it depends on like your friends and other parents of like, are they showing on social media or talking about, I plan this big birthday party and I do this and this and this, and we don't know that they're struggling behind the scenes. Then it feels like, well, there must be something wrong with me because I clearly can't do all the things that this person's doing. Whereas if we break down the walls and say, like, this is really hard. I also have no idea how I'm going to meet all these standards. And the other person's like, yeah, me too. And it's like, okay, maybe it's not just me. Maybe this is unrealistic. And, like, maybe I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, it's both. Point. I think we're, we oscillate between, like, back and forth. Like, this is unrealistic and there's no freaking way. And then that little voice creeps in. That's like, you haven't read your kids a book in two weeks. You're terrible. They're yeah. not going to be smart. They're not going to appreciate literature. They're not going to have a big vocabulary. <laughs> They're, you're going to raise 
dumbasses because you don't even make time to read to them. Right. <sighs> right. And maybe you've just set some boundaries with with people or with yourself of like, I needed time to myself, which maybe meant I could not read a book to my kids for a number of nights in a row. And you get to have that boundary. You know, boundaries are about self-protection that doesn't cause unnecessary harm. Sometimes there's going to be harm that happens that is necessary, meaning like I may not be able to be someone's everything and show up for, for them every single second of everything, every single day. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. They have to have a little independence. So mm-hmm. maybe they need to read to themselves. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Well, that's another common theme is like helping our kids develop autonomy and independence and Mm -hmm. that uh, maybe if we're allowing ourselves to let go of some of this anger and guilt it also helps facilitate our kids creating their own sense of self Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a whole nother we can do an entire episode on that around like a this parenting model that I have that's basically about that of how much do you step in and how much do you take a step back and let your kids struggle in some way or experience hurt in some way and that's going to change over years and over developmental stages mm-hmm. I feel like that's yeah. another theme in what we've been learning of yeah. like we have to let go a little bit. We have to. It's healthy and effective to let our kids struggle some and figure it out for themselves. Like that goes with the love and logic stuff. That goes with the play therapy stuff. That goes like we have to let them be in the driver's seat a bit more. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I have an example of this and we can analyze it or not. We'll see. Uh, We have a a neighborhood full of kids and there's the little kid group and then there's the big kid group. And my four-year-old is the youngest of the little kid group um, by several years. She loves playing with her neighbors. Um, And we've talked to her about like, sometimes they want to play big kid stuff that you know, like capture the flag, like she knows to run around, but like talking to her about like the spy aspect and she's just like, but we're just running. Mm. Wait. Okay. She's this, the youngest of the big kid group of the little kid group. So even sometimes the littles will play with the big and the bigs want to play something like capture the flag or they want to go biking without a parent, something Mm -hmm. like that, where the littles want to go with, and because they're in elementary school, like third, fourth, fifth grade, they can go with the bigs to do the thing. But Maddie's only four. She can't ride her bike without a parent with her. Mm -hmm. She she can't start her bike without one of us. So (laughs) There are some of these limitations where sometimes she gets left out and it's just because she's four and the rest of them are six, seven, eight, and they're more capable of doing things. 
mm-hmm. without a parent. So there, there has been this really great balance and the neighbor kids are so sweet and they're so kind trying to include her. And there are going to be times where they want to do big kid games. And then, but she doesn't understand that. So she comes home and they're like, they don't want to play with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's hard. And so for a while it was just like, this is just a balance. Like you're getting a good amount of time to play with them. And there's some times where you come home bummed out. There were a couple weeks where she was just coming home bummed out several times of like, they just don't want to pay with me. And I was running out of like, because we could see everybody's backyard. So, you know, that, you know, if they're just on the trampoline, which is something that the four-year-old could do, or if they're really playing capture the flag or not. Mm -hmm. So for a while, it was just like, they're just kind of running around the backyard or doing trampoline or playing in the playhouse. And I just like saw her little like crushed self. And I was like, well, what if we just go over? I walk you over there and you ask if you can play with them. And we get over there and she's scared to talk to them. And they all run over and they're like, oh, sorry to see you. And I was like, yeah, we we're just wondering if we could play and they were like of course and then she was scared and they're like why are you scared like you come talk and play with us all the time and I said well I think she's feeling like maybe um because she had been saying like I don't think they like me anymore they don't want to play with me so I was like you know she's just feeling like maybe you guys don't really like her anymore like maybe she did something wrong because you know she hasn't been playing with you guys lately And there really isn't, like, by the way, there's no, like, invitation, really. You just, like, if people are out, you just go out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was trying to facilitate the, like, you can just come play. I was just trying to explain for the little bit older kids that this is where she's coming from. And there is one kid in the neighborhood that does not like Madeline. And if she is out there this kid will go home and it's something like the group has been navigating it just kind of is what it is it's it's not actually about their relationship it's developmental stuff and whatever so but I'm not explaining that to them so the mom of one of the kids comes out I was like is everything okay and so I was just kind of explaining it and the mom shared this really beautiful explanation of sibling rivalry and how if you're kind of in the little kid group if you're playing with a little little kid it makes you look like you're younger to the big kids and so the big kids don't want to play with you because they're like well you guys are stuck playing with a three-year-old or a Mm two-year-old and it was a lovely beautiful example and I left, the kids played, it was great. I still have been ruminating about this interaction because I'm worried the mom thinks that I'm some sort of overbearing, like, you guys were excluding my kids, I'm coming over here to make it bet. Why would I think that, given our interaction that was actually really beautiful and lovely? But it's automatically like me thinking like, oh, I fucked up. They're going to think I'm this crazy mom that like thinks their kid's perfect and should be left out or like, what is that? Do you, okay. I'm, 
it makes me think, Sam, of what you were talking about with the um, community standards. Do you feel like you violated a community standard? Apparently, yeah. Like this, like parents don't get involved and they just let their kids play. So like I violated that by going out and like bringing her out there to play. But did you violate it? So now as we're reflecting upon this as a group, no, but I, I think I felt like that because the mom ended up having to leave her house to come ch- like talk mm-hmm. and that she then kind of explained away the behavior. So then I feel like, well, I was inconveniencing her because she left the house to come. Which I feel like is what happens a lot with people's anger and asserting themselves. Um, I think especially women, but in general that happens of like, well, I don't have the right to say something or I'm inconveniencing something because that's the message that we often get. Mm -hmm. Our anger is inconvenient to other people. Our guilt is super convenient to other people. And so when we've grown up with that messaging, then we just like, we just tell it to ourselves of, oh, I just spoke up. I asserted myself. You know, I try to speak on behalf of my daughter who isn't old enough to be able to articulate that herself. Uh, so therefore I must have done something wrong. I made someone else's life inconvenient, but mm-hmm. we get to say something. That's what it is. Don't you feel mm-hmm. like that's what it is? That is totally what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like it was very appropriate. Like my kid's feeling scared and needs some assistance and you didn't, it doesn't sound like you went out there and totally took care of it for her. You just helped not to. her. And you modeled to her and then it helped. And so maybe the next time she'll be able to be like, okay, I can just go out and ask if I can play and say I'm sad because I want to play or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you were saying like talking about, I was like, what a great teaching modeling moment to show your kid that when you're feeling a certain way, you can bring it up with someone else advocate for yourself and possibly if they're kind safe people which it sounds like they respond in that way can say oh here let me clarify what's going on or yeah we have no problem playing with you and that gives her a whole different experience and if you never did that and she's sitting at home thinking these kids don't like me now Mm -hmm. I can't play with them Mm -hmm. wow fantastic Mm -hmm. good job yeah. And then and like this is where it changes as kids get older because once she's eight, nine, ten, like you might encourage you might have the conversation at home and maybe role play, but then have her do it herself, right? There's mm-hmm. a certain age where you're gonna have to step in more as a parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they are yeah. scared and I feel like that's that's okay. I had a very similar situation with Hendrix yesterday, actually. Like his older brother and the neighbor were playing and he, I don't know what happened. He probably did something that pissed them off because he's rough and he doesn't, he doesn't take no for an answer. And so he came home and was like, they don't want to play with me anymore. And so we did something together. And then he was like, I want to go back and play with them, but they don't want me to play. And I was like, why don't you just say, I'm sorry for what happened. Is it okay if I play now? And he was like, okay, can you come with me? I'm scared. (laughs) And I was like, sure. And then we got over there and I was like, okay, go ahead and tell them I'm scared. You say it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then I did. And then the neighbor kid was like, oh yeah, you can play. Come on. 
Right. NBD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as like we could see how people respond, maybe next time they're like, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe they'll respond okay. And this happens with adults too. Like as I'm working with clients on asserting themselves more at first, it can feel terrifying. But as they see people respond better and better, then they start to feel more confident. They feel like maybe it can go well and that I do deserve to speak up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And the way you explain things is so clear and concise that it, it feels very, like, doable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, like, disarming a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that it feels like it makes sense and that maybe it feels more doable. That's the hope with with this kind of model that I created with another colleague around anger and guilt is if we demystify emotions and we have some structure to it, and it's like, oh, maybe I could do that. Versus like anger, it feels scary and big and I have no idea what to do. It's like, well, let's just break it down. And you're like, mm -hmm. I could do that maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe. We can do that, yeah. maybe. Yeah, we might know everything we need to do, but taking the action can be hard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you cool. so much for coming on. It was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love talking about this stuff. Excellent. Look up for Sam's trainings and groups. She does um, anger workshops. And um, if you're interested in reaching out to her, she works at a Prestige Counseling and Wellness in Egan, Minnesota. So check Sam Franklin out. If you like this episode, you like our content, listen to more of it, mm. like us, follow us, give us you five like stars. Us. We need you to like us. We need you to like us. <laughs> please. We're trying really hard to do whatever it takes to please you. <laughs> Also, we kind of don't care about pleasing others. <laughs> it's a real struggle. Yeah. It's a real fine line. Huh. Check us out on Spotify, Apple, YouTube. Just don't F them up. Woohoo! Bye. 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 <laughs>